Welcome to episode 47 of the Listening Brain Podcast. Welcome to the Listening Brain. I'm your host, Todd Houston. In this podcast, we explore childhood hearing loss through the lives of the parents and families who were on this journey and the professionals who serve them. It is my pleasure to welcome Ellen Thomas to the Listening Brain podcast. Ellen is a senior speech-language pathologist and LSLS certified auditory verbal therapist at the University of Michigan, where she provides direct intervention to children with hearing loss using an auditory verbal approach. She is a part of of the University of Michigan Cochlear Implant Program. Ellen has published articles in Otology and Neurotology and has given numerous presentations nationally and internationally related to the development of listening and spoken language in children who are deaf or hard of hearing. Since its beginning in 2004, Ellen has worked on the outreach grant Sound Support throughout the state of Michigan to bridge the medical and educational needs of children with hearing loss. In addition to her work at the University of Michigan, Ellen is the co-director and an instructor for the Institute for Cochlear Implant Training's Auditory Verbal Practice course. Ellen received her master's degree in speech-language pathology from the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. She completed her certification in auditory verbal therapy in the year 2000. Ellen has had the privilege of serving on the Michigan Eddy Board and the A.G. Bell Academy Board. She is passionate about helping children learn to listen and talk so that hearing loss does not drive their choices in life. Again, my pleasure to welcome Ellen to the podcast. Ellen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me. Let's start at the beginning. How did you get, how did you have an interest or where did you learn about speech language pathology? Well, thank you for having me today, Todd. I appreciate that. And I started out my college career out as a German major, which allowed mm. me to do my junior year in Germany, which was fantastic. But I came back for my senior year. I was at Center College, which is a liberal arts school in Kentucky. And I really didn't know where I was headed. I, I didn't see a career that would use my German skills that I felt like was a good fit for me. So I went to the Career Counseling Center and took an interest inventory. And speech pathology was way out ahead of all these other different career paths. And I had no idea what it was. But the career counselor at my school was wonderful. She set me up with uh, Nancy Swigert, who mm -hmm. was a speech path practicing in Lexington and mm -hmm. um, has been very influential in ASHA as time's gone on. So I spent the day with her and I just saw all kinds of possibilities and really, you know, grabbed me. So the weekend after I finished my senior year at Center, I 
started the next Monday, I started my master's program at the University of Tennessee. And I started my professional career out in a private practice in Huntsville, Alabama with Melissa Mahone. Mm-hmm. And I spent several years uh, doing whatever came through the door. Mm-hmm. But it was actually a parent who came to me and said, we need somebody to do this type of therapy here. Uh, Birmingham, which is two hours mm-hmm. south of Huntsville, is really was really the only option. Mm-hmm. And I had just had my first cochlear implant patient who, in 1992, was a six-year-old who got meningitis over the Christmas holidays and Mm. developed a profound hearing loss. Uh, We spent six long months of a hearing aid trial before she received an implant, but I'd been working with her. And then this parent, who was the parent of a young child, uh, got me really looking at, well, what is auditory verbal? What does that <laughs> mean? What what are we even talking about? Mm-hmm. And I was really fortunate to be able to go and spend a week at the Larry Jarrett House in Easton, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. with Don Goldberg and the crew that were working uh, in that Easton clinic at that time. And from then on, it was there was no question. Mm-hmm. Um, my family history uh, is that I have a grandmother who became deaf in her early 30s. So I knew what that looked like. She used a hearing aid. I'm sure she was a cochlear implant candidate, but that was in the time before that was an option for. And I I knew what, what kind of struggles she'd had. Um, my father has had every otologic diagnosis known to man. <laughs> he, um, and he has been a hearing aid user, a Baja user. Um, and so I certainly saw his struggles. And I have a sensory neural hearing loss, which was identified in graduate school. I was quite frankly sure that the clinician testing me was wrong. <laughs> um, but Turns out, no, they were right. Uh, So hearing loss has sort of been embedded into my family story as well. And, um, you know, as I as I started looking as I after Larry Jarrett House Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. the BB Center, I um, came back and found Beth Walker who was willing Mm -hmm. to serve as a mentor to me. Was she still in North Carolina at that point? Um, She she had just moved to Lake Martin, Alabama. And I mean, fairly recently. So it was my, it was my very good fortune that that happened. Uh, She was a fabulous mentor and just took me so far in the days before all the wonderful resources that Hearing First has put together to mm-hmm. help people were there. <laughs> so uh, in 2000, I took the exam in Philadelphia, and that was the start of officially being an auditory verbal therapist. That's 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 incredible. That's a great uh, 
that's a great story. It was it's somewhat similar to mine. Um, mm-hmm. One of my first experiences, my uh, well, my first job out of grad school was working at a school for the deaf, thinking that all kids needed ASL because I had a cousin that I grew up with who used ASL. But it was in North Carolina, and Beth uh, taught us a class. She denies this, but I think <laughs> she taught us a class in cute speech. Mm-hmm. I was like, what the heck is this? And then Carolyn Brown came. She was recruited from House to come to North Carolina to set up the pediatric cochlear implant team at UNC Chapel Hill. And so Carolyn went out to all the schools for the deaf and and set up some workshops and showed these you know, videos of single channel implants and these kids talking. I was, I'm like, what, <laughs> what is going on here? You know, cause my grad program was good, but it, you know, my, my oral hab class was sort of a survey class of here's how to troubleshoot a hearing aid. And here are the different communication methodologies and good luck. <laughs> that was sort of the whole content, right? <laughs> Not how to work with them, you know? I so, a, yeah, I, at Tennessee, I had a class in the verbal tonal method. Oh, that's with right, Carl Asp. Which, yep. you know, we've we've evolved past that with the technology, mm-hmm. but it it sort of fed into the AV um, mm-hmm. interest along the way. Yeah, yeah. I was um, I had moved back to South Carolina to start my PhD, and and Warren Estabrooks, those who who know Warren, uh, came to North Carolina. Carolyn had invited him down and uh, went up to, and saw him. And of course, from that point on, I was like, this is what I have to do. This is what yes. I need to do. Because he he kind of pulled it all together and had these great videos. And these kids were doing all these wonderful things. And uh, he was so dynamic as a presenter. It was like, okay, here's here's my new life <laughs> going in this direction. So, yeah. He's so, he was so gifted at, at presenting. Uh, clips and mm-hmm. uh, therapy that just show you how fun it can really be. Mm-hmm. And I think that was one of the attractions. Not only were these kids just getting fabulous results, but he was having fun too. Right. Which is how I feel about my work when I'm working with little people and their mm-hmm. families. So. Exactly. And, and I think it might have been Warren or one of the other pre- presenters over the years. He said, if, if you're not having fun as a clinician, then something's wrong, yeah. you know, because yeah. it means you're, the child is probably not having a lot of fun either, or the parent, right. you know, not really understanding why you're doing it. So, so I try to talk to my grad students like that. I say, if you're, gets, you're so focused on doing this activity the right way that the kid is way off task or not interested <laughs> and not having fun, then you've lost them, you know, so have fun. Let it go. And if it's not working, still have fun and do something different. We've all been there for sure, oh, yeah. <laughs> but but I think that's you know now I, that I've been practicing for a long time. Um, you know, one of the things that I love is that I come in and I work with the families and their young child, and it is still fun. It is mm-hmm. still rewarding, and you seeing the progress and seeing where these kids can end up. Mm-hmm. You've been at Michigan long enough now that I have several kids who've gone through college and mm-hmm. graduated and to see that they're employed and in, in careers that they find satisfying is is just super rewarding. That's right. 
Yeah. You're, you're probably like me. I get um, requests on LinkedIn to, you know, it's not, it's not called friend friending on LinkedIn is whatever it is, but connecting, <laughs> yeah. you know, on LinkedIn yes. and, and getting um, emails from former students who are out there selling whatever and having a career and wanting me to invest or do all this. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. But it's great to see that, you know, they're, they are, right. like they, you're saying, living their life mm-hmm. and doing what they want to do. I, I always tell families that the goal is, is that we're going to work so that the hearing loss does not drive all the choices in life. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's always going to be there and it's going to be an inconvenience sometimes, and it's going to be a consideration, but it doesn't have to drive all the decisions of your life. Right. Uh, and the ability to be able to choose uh, is huge. I mean, that mm-hmm. makes a much more satisfying life. That's right. I like that. I like that philosophy. I don't think I've heard it said quite that way before. So you give me something to think about in terms of let's not let it be the center of everything we think about and do. That's that's really good advice. So you in 2000, you uh, take the test and become certified. And were you still in Alabama at that point? I was. Uh, and then I moved to Ann Arbor in 2003 to take a position at uh, the University of Michigan that was within a cochlear implant program and really allowed me to exclusively work with children with hearing loss. Uh, my practice in Alabama had become mostly that, but it it I was too far away from my audiology colleagues. Mm-hmm. And I was looking for an opportunity to be just down the hall from the audiologist so that I could pester the heck out of them when I thought something needed to be done. That's awesome. And it's it's been a great place for me to have ended up. Just not only being able to see the patients and be part of a really stellar team, but also to be able to look into some research uh, ideas mm-hmm. and that, you know, as a master's level professional, you, it's not a given that you're going to have that opportunity. And that's right. been really fun. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, with, with Michigan and the, the cochlear implant program there, it has certainly had a stellar reputation over the years and continues to have that reputation. Um What's been the center of of that and sort of driving that reputation? What do you think? The people. This is a staff of really committed professionals. Uh, We And most of us have been here a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm coming up on 20 years, and uh, I have colleagues that have been here longer. And uh, But a lot of us have been here many years. We have some new blood, too, and that's good. I, mm-hmm. It's it's been really great to we have two uh, younger audiologists who come in in the last five six years that have also mm-hmm. brought some really great fresh ideas. But it is the people. Uh, it's a group of people committed to the patient uh, and committed to really communicating with each other, and not only the audiology and the speech professionals, 
but we have wonderful surgeons that really dialogue with us. And through mm-hmm. our team meetings, there's a lot of good dialogue about what is what are the issues in this case, what's really the best uh, scenario for this patient. And uh, I think when people are really committed to the patient, mm-hmm. if you have that patient care as your first focus, uh, you usually will do well. Right, right. How many surgeries are you guys doing now uh, oh, per year? Uh, just on, uh, oh, per uh, year? Estimate. Um, oh, I think it is between 50 and 60 children, um, which would be in new ears. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the adults, it's a little higher, maybe 80. Oh, wow. Um, don't quote me on that because sure. I don't, I don't have those statistics at the top of my head, but that's about what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it goes in waves. And you know, COVID, the first year mm-hmm. of COVID was a real slump, and we're still a little worried about w- whether there's not a pocket of children with severe to profound hearing loss that haven't surfaced out of COVID. Um, you know, just mm-hmm. wondering where that population went during that time. You know, we're we're. I, I'm at the Akron Children's Hospital uh, three days a week now, um, working with their CI team and uh, take grad students with me and all that. But we're kind of wondering the same thing. We, we just had a team meeting this week, and we're like, we have some kids that were sort of in the pipeline, so to speak, and 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 are scheduled for surgery, but then we don't have an, the same number like coming up. And it's like, what? Where are they? When? What? You know, where do they go? <laughs> And so it's interesting. You guys just kind of seeing a similar, similar thing. I think it'll be a while before we can really tell, but it feels like there's been a COVID effect. Yeah. Um, and knowing how critical that early time is, it's very painful to think that there could potentially be a pocket of children that whose families just have not found the services because of everything that's come along with COVID. Right. Right. Or maybe those um, moms and dads spent so much time together and they now hate each other and didn't have any more kids. <laughs> <laughs> could be. That could be the other. <laughs> that, yeah. that could be too. Maybe yes. we'll see that there was a decline in the population. That's that right. Straight down. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so it's, it's, um, you know, I've always been very thankful because you you have taken students that I've had and and who who wanted to to come there and study, and I've always appreciated that. And you've been very willing to do that from time to time, and um, and and I think that's another commitment that you guys have uh, as a, a cochlear implant team is to sort of train that next generation. So I just wanted to sort of publicly thank you for always being sort of open to that and and willing to sort of help help these grad programs out and and take students it's nice because there are well right now there are three of us that are certified auditory verbal therapists here and it it's nice i think to have a student when they can look at this is how person a does it but oh person Mm -hmm. b over here is is targeting the same thing but they went about it a little differently and it really it really I think can help people understand their strategies and then there's techniques and what does it look like? And you can bring your own personality to the table. Mm -hmm. 
That's right. That's right. We, we all do things a little differently. Mm-hmm. And so it's a great place to learn, you know, to be able to see that. And and some places aren't exactly that forgiving, and so to speak, or that um, <laughs> have that kind of philosophy. You know, it's sort of, I'm your supervisor, do it my way, or the highway kind of thing. And that's never worked well with me. <laughs> and that well, happens. I, I think there's room for people to be them, be themselves. And you get the best out of somebody when, when you let them work, play to their strengths and you right. give them options. I mean, there's some things that definitely have to be in sure. place. And, you know, I firmly believe in the principles of AVT, but sure, how you implement it, there's a lot of, of different options there. And sure. Exactly. You know, my, my my best therapy ideas are usually borrowed or stolen from somebody else. So <laughs> that's right. It's the famous quote that I forget the artist, but you know, all basically all artists uh, steal. <laughs> if you don't, yeah. you're you're, right. you're you're missing out. Um, just don't you know steal everything. <laughs> but we're all looking for ideas, you know, and different things. You know, I for I, I ran into a drugstore today this morning and they had sort of their Easter stuff out and found some little Easter toys. It was like, mm-hmm. wow, you know, I haven't seen these, you know, this is new, this is different. Yeah. And then at the Dollar Tree of all places early in their week, they have new eggs, plastic eggs mm-hmm. that are animals. Oh, now that's a good twist. So I'm thinking, okay, you know, yeah. learning to listen to sounds, we can do something mm-hmm. like that. We can, I mean, I've been putting inside. the animals in the plastic eggs, and uh, right, and right. So, so now I uh, yeah. may have to check that out. Okay. Yeah, they were pretty, pretty cool. So, uh, <laughs> ended up. My, my wife's going to kill me because she's like, "Why are you going back to there again?" But you know, all these years into it, I still get excited when I find something that yeah. that I think we can use. Well, um, I, I'm always on the hunt for a new toy. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, it, I it's it's probably mostly for me, but <laughs> I'll, I'll probably die li- in poverty because I'll still just <laughs> spend all my money yeah. doing that kind of stuff. For sure. <laughs> um, so, what what do you think? You know, from your perspective, um, sort of the lay of the land in terms of where we are right now in providing services to families. Uh, that kid of of children with hearing loss that are, are listening in spoken language. What are we missing? What do we still need to work on? What do you think? Professionals, we're missing professionals. Professionals. Um, I, I think there there need to be more of us. Um, yeah, I, my time on the uh, AG Bell Academy board was mm-hmm. really focused on mentors and and helping people. Uh, feel confident to mentor others uh, and you through what I do with the Institute for Cochlear Implant Training, that too is one place where the hope is that you're building the next group of professionals and that you're really uh, giving people who are maybe already in an implant team but haven't had mm-hmm. that specific understanding of of how the auditory system develops and how important all these right. pieces are that that come into play in an auditory verbal practice. Um, you, that that has always been really a, a fun course to uh, 
follow through because the people the there's people that are participating are so diverse and they're out there kind of all over the country and uh, bring different experiences, but all still need some basic foundational information that hopefully we provide them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think hearing first has been a big boon to giving us acts, you know, giving people access to that content that you know, when I was going through certification, you had to kind of uh, go here and there and, and pull together on your own. And right. I hope that that it makes it just easier for people and inspires people. I mean, there's all kinds of really uh, entertaining and important and inspiring uh, information there that I hope is feeding the pipeline and and helping us get new professionals interested because uh, that's the biggest need that I see. Um, right. And, and that's hearingfirst.org, just in case someone listening to the podcast hasn't been you know isn't familiar with it great resources free and and training opportunities you mentioned the institute for cochlear implant training i don't think i've discussed that on the podcast can you share a little bit more about how it's structured and how someone could potentially access that uh this was this is dr thomas balcony's baby Mm -hmm. Uh, he was a practicing neurotologist for many years. And in his retirement, this is kind of a place where he focused his energy. And it is an online uh, platform where there is a course for surgeons, there is a course for audiologists, there is a course uh, that I participate in, which is auditory verbal practice. And uh, Mm -hmm. then there is also a newer course on uh, you just clinic efficiency and how to to structure mm-hmm. uh, or things you can do in a clinic to make it as productive and uh, cost effective as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, my heart belongs to the auditory verbal course mm-hmm. that I co-direct with Teresa Caraway, and mm-hmm. you just we have wonderful speakers. It's an eleven week course of online lecture that people can view at their own Mm -hmm. discretion whenever uh, in each module. And then there is one live hour lecture at the end of each module where the person who has presented the recorded lecture is online and presents just a little bit more provides an opportunity for questions and answers and dialogue and hopefully pulls their section all together. Um, And it's, like I said, it's fun because you get, you, we have people from all over the U S in that class. And and is it mostly SLPs in the Um, AV? It's a combination. I would Mm -hmm. say probably yes, mostly there. Mm -hmm. Um, SLPs, but we have had audiologists. We have had a few teachers for the deaf. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I, I think, yes, they're probably 90% speech pathologists. And if someone was to Google Institute for Cochlear Implants training, training, uh, it would come pop up. up. Great. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good. Yep. Wonderful. And just, you know, the, the instructors are, 
are well-known people. I mean, we've got Carol Flexer and Sylvia Rotfleisch and mm -hmm. uh, Lindsay Zombeck mm -hmm. and uh, Sarah Newman and Darcy mm -hmm. Stowe. We we have a really nice collection of, of really knowledgeable people um, presenting the different parts that go into providing care as a therapist for somebody with a cochlear implant. Right. Yeah, that's a great team. Um, so I, I hope it'll, you know, get you'll get a few more uh, attendees out of all this. Um, so you mentioned not having enough people in the field. Um, and I totally agree with that. And that sort of drives what I do in my, my other world. <laughs> my day job, so to speak, is what I usually call it. Um, trying to train more students. And we, we do have a new training grant. And so... Oh, they are being trained in in listening and spoken language early intervention as well as telepractice because the Department of Ed wanted more distance learning Good. aspects because of COVID. So, what do you, what advice would you give to someone starting to you know starting now who is maybe graduating from their program and and you know about to start a career in this? What advice would you give them if they wanted to pursue LISL certification? I think hearing first is the place where I would start because you can get so much information on that platform. And there there are lots of online courses offered and they're free. Um, mm -hmm. You also need to be connected to the AG Bell Academy because that is the entity that certifies people and mm -hmm. that that sets forth the guidelines and so that's the place you need to go for the one two three what do I need to do um, but hearing first is a place to go to get a lot of the content to get some connections with other people to ask questions the professional online community is really active and uh, I think receptive to questions from younger professionals who mm -hmm. you maybe are trying to figure out if this is for them or what's involved. Uh, so I think that's definitely where I would start. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we we have a grant at Michigan that we call Sound Support, and. Mm -hmm. uh, our role there is to try to bridge the medical educational gap so that we're trying to help professionals in the school systems uh, understand what their students uh, with cochlear implants or hearing aids need and mm -hmm. also the earlier interventionists. Um, it's hard. The early interventionists have a really wide umbrella of things mm -hmm. that they encounter and to have that specialized knowledge for everything is just next to impossible. So right. um, we go out to daycares, to schools, um, and try to assist the people in where wherever they are. But I always send those people also to hearing first for just additional mm -hmm. information and uh, just some of the handouts that are really helpful there. Uh, right. So I think it's it's good for people who are starting out and maybe interested in pursuing this, but it's also helpful to people who are maybe 
out working, but and have a need for some of this information, but it wasn't their specialty. Right. Exactly. I well, I think I think those are great resources and certainly ones I recommend to my grad students to to try to pursue. And um, so yeah, I do think we need to continue to to have all of those things available and and hopefully get more graduate programs that are doing at least exposing students to some of this right. before they graduate. It is it's I can tell you it's really hard because of curricula and you know trying to fit in all these things and not burn out the students but um, right, right. We're, we're we're making it work but it's I can I understand why there's not that many well, people out there doing it. That's where you have to go back to you know what we do can be really fun <laughs> and sure. it's really rewarding. So, you know, if I mean, I, I feel fortunate. I, I go to my job, you know, five days a week, 40 hours a week or more. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I've been doing this a long time and I still come through the door excited. Um, you can't sure. say that. About, a lot of people can't say that about their job. That's right. Um, you know, That's I think fair. the other thing that that really has helped maybe the only good thing to come out of covid but that has helped families get the services they need is telepractice mm-hmm. um you know it can't make I up agree. for the the fact that we need more professionals but it mm-hmm. has really opened the door for people who you know, either because of distance or just you know in general logistics whatever the reason can't uh come to a clinic weekly mm-hmm. that's been that's been just tremendous and the other thing that has really come out of that at least for us at michigan is that families can do both so Mm -hmm. they can come in but then if the sibling is sick the next week they can do virtual and you haven't missed a session right our uh cancellation for appointments we looked at that for before COVID, when everything was in person mm-hmm. versus once people had a choice mm-hmm. and the absentee rate went from 18% to eight. Wow. Which is, that's significant for us. Sure, sure. And we're seeing sort of the same thing too mm-hmm. at, at Akron Children's, that there's a lot fewer cancellations or, um, so now parents are realizing, oh, I don't have to go in if, like you're saying, if Maybe the cat's have, the child has a little cold or something, but okay. not too bad. Could still do a session, but maybe not well enough to go in. Yeah. Um, we can still be productive, and and we're we're seeing more of that, and we are offering that, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. it's not all or nothing. It's not all telepractice or all in person. We can put something together that will fit the needs of the family, and and I think that's what telepractice allows is that hybrid way of of working with families and uh and i think one of the things that i keep telling my grad students is i want them to be able to move seamlessly between the two and you're describing the exact work uh, situation yeah. that that is out there you know that people are that you know hospitals and, and mm-hmm. other facilities are now seeing as as the advantage of having a telepractice program yeah it definitely is. And Michigan is a big state. I mean, mm. it, it's 500 miles from my house to 
my parents' home in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, but then it's also 500 miles from my home to Michigan Tech, where my mm -hmm. son was a student, and you know, that's still in the same state. That's right. <laughs> and mm -hmm. you certainly cannot drive 500 miles for therapy once a week. That's not that's happening. Right. <laughs> that's right. That's I, I remember back when I lived in North Carolina that you could drive from one from the coast all the way to the tip almost in Tennessee and it's like eight hour drive yeah. across the state yeah. It's yeah. Like, yeah. You know, you're still in one state it's and so it's it's it kind of blows your mind if you really start to think about it of how big these states are and and if you have families that you're working with you know they just can't always do those trips you know and so telepractice is something that could be an answer well Ellen I I Really love that you uh, were able to join me today, and, and it's been great catching up. How can people get in touch with you if you want them to reach out? Uh, probably my email is the easiest thing, which is Ellen Tias and Tom at med m e d dot umich u m i c h dot edu. Awesome. Well, good luck with everything you're doing, and. You'll have to come back and give me an update in another six months or a year or so. Well, the other thing about this profession is that it is a group of great people. I mean, the, my, our colleagues in this profession are some really cool people. I agree. And you're one of them. So. <laughs> well, thanks. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you again, Ellen, for being on the podcast. And I have to say that she made me rethink or think differently about what we do. And I love this idea that she stated so eloquently about helping children learn to listen and talk so that hearing loss does not drive their choices. And for families, that the hearing loss is does not drive everything that they do. And I think that is such a beautiful way of looking at this is if we do our jobs the right way, hearing loss is just another trait. It's just another thing that is is going on. It's not driving everything, every decision, everything that happens in the family and with the child who grows up and, again, has options and can do whatever they want in life. So thank you, Ellen, for helping me to reframe what we do and to, uh, and to maybe think a little differently about what we do and why it's so important. So thank you again. And thank you for listening to this episode. Please, if you don't mind, leave us a five-star review. That always helps us to attract new listeners and to grow this program, this podcast, uh, to get new listeners and new subscribers. And we'll be back in again in two weeks with another exciting episode. Until then, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.